0: I love it when you read to me Books can take us around the world They can take us to the intimate spaces of human experiences And they can help us grow through their words Stay tuned for People of the Book with Janice Leibovitz Good morning everybody, I am Janice Leibovitz You are our People of the Book And um, as you can hear, I don't have the greatest voice on me this morning I will do my best, I hope that it will last me out for the hour, we'll see how it goes. Um, With Monday morning, the Monday the 27th of January, being International Holocaust Remembrance Day and also the 75th anniversary of the liberation of the Auschwitz death camp, I have decided to make today a show basically all about Holocaust books. Um, I'm sure many of us have had our eyes turned to Israel this week It's an auspicious time World leaders have gathered there for the World Holocaust Forum And there have been particularly moving speeches That I'm sure many of us have heard made by Prince Charles The German President, um, Frank-Walter Steinmeier Who said that Germany's responsibility does not expire And I'm sure many of you have been moved, as was I when I watched his, his speech, I watched his delivery of that speech also with his, um delivery of the prayer of Sheikh Yanu, blessing the gathering and thanking Hashem for bringing everyone together at such an important and indeed a very unique gathering of, of leaders, royalty, world royalty, global royalty and being thankful that, that everyone is gathered there. At such a unique place and time And um, mentioning that they are, were of course gathered at Yad Vashem And he kept speaking about the eternal flame that is lit there That, that remains burning, that never goes out And I found his, his delivery and his address particularly moving And um, I would like today to particularly dedicate this program To a man who was not a world ne- leader He was not large in stature And what he lacked in height, he certainly made up for in heart and in resilience, in spirit and determination, a man who many of you listening may have known, and if you didn't know him, if you hadn't met him, you may certainly have known of him. And I'm speaking of Mordechai Perlov, known to most as Mord, and he passed away this week at the age of 93 he was a prominent and very well-loved member of our survivor community here in Johannesburg he survived russian labor camps and he captured the hearts of all those who who met him and he'll be he'll be greatly missed and i'd really do wish his family friends and the remaining survivor community long life and comfort and i dedicate today's show to him i love it when you- this is People of the Book with Janice Leibovitz. We're back and as I said earlier, um, we're going to be talking today about Holocaust books, fiction, non-fiction and, and books that will introduce the Holocaust to younger readers as well. And of course there are hundreds of thousands of Holocaust books, all different types of books and everyone has their preferred type of book that they like. Well, I wouldn't say like to read about the Holocaust A lot of people do prefer reading in this genre And I would love to hear from you If there is a particular book that you think should be mentioned And of course you can get hold of me um, on our SMS line 34519 Or on Telegram o six one i I'd love to hear from you if there's a particular book that you've read ...on the Holocaust or on, on something around World War II that you think needs a mention. So the first book I want to chat about is a non-fiction book. It's called The Nazi Officer's Wife, How One Jewish Woman Survived the Holocaust. It's by Edith Hahn Beer and Susan Dworkin. Edith Hahn was an outspoken young woman studying law in Vienna when the Gestapo forced her, she and her mother, into a ghetto issuing them papers branded with a J. Um, soon, Edith was taken away to a labour camp, and although she convinced Nazi officials to spare her mother, when she returned home, her mother had been deported. Knowing she would become a hunted woman, Edith very bravely tore the yellow staff from her clothing and went underground, scavenging for food and searching each night for a safe place to sleep. Her boyfriend, Pepe, Proved too terrified to help her, but a Christian friend was not. With a woman's identity papers in hand, Edith fled to Munich. There she met Werner Wetter, a Nazi party member who fell in love with her. And despite her protests and even her eventual confession that she was Jewish, he married her and kept her identity secret. In vivid, wrenching detail, Edith recalls a life of constant, almost paralyzing fear. I don't even think we can imagine that type of fear. She tells of German officials who casually questioned the lineage of her parents, of how when giving birth to her daughter, she refused all painkillers, afraid that in an altered state of mind she might reveal her past, and of how after her husband was captured by the Russians and sent to Siberia, Edith was bombed out of her house and had to hide in a closet with her daughter, while drunken Russian soldiers raped women on the street. Yet despite the risk it posed to her life, Edith Hahn created a remarkable collective record of survival. She saved every set of real and falsified papers, letters she received from her lost love, Pepe, and photographs she managed to take inside labor camps. On exhibit at the Holocaust Museum in Washington, D.C., these hundreds of documents form the fabric of an epic story, complex, troubling, and ultimately triumphant. That's the Nazi officer's wife, How One Jewish Woman Survived the Holocaust, by Edith hahn and Susan Dworkin. That sounds absolutely fascinating and harrowing to to have lived through such an ordeal and to have come out and survived to to tell the tale. Benji has sent me a message to say, Pathway Through the Ashes is a must-read. Benji, um, if you could let us know who that's written by, that would be great. Um, thanks for sending that message through. It's great to hear from you. Um, the next book, also non-fiction, and I'm sure many people, especially those who are on social media, have um, heard the story of... Irina Sendler, and this is the book that's been written about her life, Irina's Children, the Extraordinary Story of the Woman Who Saved 2,500 Children from the Warsaw Ghetto. It's written by Tilar J. Mazeo. This book is an account of Irina Sendler, and she's known as the female Oscar Schindler, Um, She took staggering risks to save 2,500 children from death and deportation in Nazi-occupied Poland during World War II. In 1942, Irina was a young social worker, and she was granted access to the Warsaw Ghetto as a public health specialist. And while she was there, she reached out to the trapped Jewish families who were in the ghetto, going from door to door and asking parents to trust her with their young children. And she started smuggling them out of the ghetto, convincing her friends and neighbors to hide them. She was driven to extreme measures, and with the help of a network of local tradesmen, ghetto residents, and her star-crossed lover in the Jewish resistance, Irina ultimately smuggled thousands of children past the Nazis. She made extremely dangerous trips through the city's sewers, hid children in coffins, snuck them under overcoats at checkpoints, and slipped them through secret passages in abandoned buildings. But Irina did something even more astonishing at immense personal risk. She kept secret lists buried in bottles under an old apple tree in a friend's back garden. On them were the names and true identities of those Jewish children recorded with the hope that their relatives would find them after the war. And, of course, she had no way of knowing that more than 90% of those families were never um, going to be coming back to claim those children. Um, That's the true story of Irina Sendler, and the full name of the book is Irina's Children, the Extraordinary Story of the Woman Who Saved, Two thousand five hundred children from the Warsaw ghetto, and I think the story that used to do the rounds on social media was about Irina smuggling children out, I think in a, a carpenter's a carpenter 's box or something like that um, but but clearly there 's a lot more to the story than that, and um, of course, at huge risk and it seems that she clearly impossible to do that on her own and she had a network of people who assisted her all at at great risk and the fact that she saved the names and it wasn't just about saving lives she wanted them reunited with families she wanted them to know that they were Jewish She she really cared about these children that she was saving it wasn't just about Getting them out. She wanted them to have uh, a future as Jewish, as Jewish um, children and to continue having Jewish families. So, um, an incredible story. The, the next book, also a non-fiction book is I Have Lived a Thousand Years. And it's by Livia Bitton Jackson. It's about, um, at the time, Ellie Friedman, she was a 13-year-old girl, and she she writes about what is death, what is death all about, what is life all about, and she was just one of many, many innocent Holocaust victims fighting for her life in a concentration camp, and before the war she led a normal life, a rich life that included her family, her friends, school, thinking about boys, she would lie and daydream for hours, and she was... Uh, a very beautiful, apparently an elegant and celebrated poet at that young age. But those um, daydreams came to a very quick end in March 1944 when the Nazis invaded her home in Hungary and she could first no longer attend school. She couldn't own her own things. She couldn't talk to her neighbours. And then she and her family were forced to leave their home behind and move into the crowded ghetto, where privacy was a luxury. There was no privacy in the ghetto. Food became scarce, and her strong will and faith allowed her to manage and somehow adjust. But what she didn't know, obviously, was that the ghetto and that awful adjustment that she had to make living in the ghetto was only the beginning, and that even worse, was yet to come. And this is a remarkable memoir um, I Have Lived a Thousand Years is a story of cruelty and suffering, but at the same time also a story of hope, faith, perseverance, and love. This is I Have Lived a Thousand Years. It's the story of Ellie Friedman by Livia Beton-Jackson, and today we are talking, if you've just tuned in, all about Holocaust books with International Holocaust Remembrance Day coming up on Monday, if you feel that... There are any holocaust books that you have read that need to be mentioned here of course there are so so many um, i can't fit them all in obviously please sms me on 34519 or message me on telegram 0618951019 I love it when you read me. this is people of the book with janice leibovitz Right, so as I said earlier, in case, and also in case you've just tuned in, today we're talking about Holocaust books, as Monday is International Holocaust Remembrance Day, and also I'm dedicating today's show to the memory of Maud Perlov, one of our Joburg Holocaust survivors who passed away earlier this week. Obviously, we cannot mention every single Holocaust book ever written, but in case there's one you particularly thought was really good and that you think is worth mentioning, please do message me on 34519, that's our SMS line, or send a message on Telegram 0618951019. I'd love to hear from you if there's a particular book that you've read on the subject that you think I should mention. I'd love to hear from you. We've had a huge spate of Holocaust books that have been published recently. And I'm not sure if that's because people feel that particularly at this stage in time that the stories need to be heard, the stories need to be told, because we are losing our survivors. Obviously, they are aging. Um, Monday commemorates the 75th anniversary of the liberation of Auschwitz. And our survivors are obviously at a certain age where... They are unfortunately passing away. They're not going to be with us forever. And we need to capture these stories so that we pass on that legacy and we hold on to it so that it's it's kept and people remember them and people relay these stories and that we never forget them. I know that there's huge controversy about true stories that are taken and fictionalised, stories like The Tattooist of Auschwitz, Silke's Journey, The Librarian of Auschwitz, and stories of that ilk. And I'm not going to go into those. And, of course, a lot of novels that are written, all of these novels that are written about Holocaust history and Holocaust era, they're all based in fact, even though they are fiction. They all take their stories from from historical fact, So although they say they are novels and although they say they are fiction, there is fact in there somewhere. So I've selected a few novels. We're going to move on from the non-fiction now into novels. And I've selected a few. Some most, I'm just trying to think, most of them I have read, some I haven't. But we're going to talk about them. And I think a lot of people seem to think that a lot of the novels are mainly um, based in, in Poland or in Germany. There are a few here that are based in in other areas of Europe and I find these quite interesting and a lot of these are being written now about other countries and their participation in the war and there's a lot that's being written now about collaboration of other countries and their denial of collaboration and the fact that a lot of countries are not taking ownership of collaboration. I'm not going to go into the whole political arena of that it's not my area but it's very interesting to read fictionalized accounts it's very interesting to read novels that are based in different areas of Europe and um just to to broaden our horizons a bit and see different accounts of stories that are not based purely in Germany Lithuania Poland but in other areas and to to read those stories as well the first book, which is probably quite well known to many of of you listeners, is The Nightingale by Kristen Hanna. It was a bestseller, I think, a couple of years ago. And the, the catchphrase, the byline of the book is, in love we find out who we want to be, and in war we find out who we are. It was based in France, France 1939, In the quiet village of Cariveau, Vianne Moriac says goodbye to her husband, Antoine, as he heads for the front. She doesn't believe that the Nazis will invade France, but invade they do. In droves of marching soldiers, in caravans of trucks and tanks, in planes that fill the skies and drop bombs upon the innocent. When France is overrun, Vianne is forced to take an enemy into her house, and suddenly her every move is watched – Her life and her child's life is at constant risk. Without food or money or hope, as danger escalates around her, she must make one terrible choice after another. Vianne's sister, Isabel, is a rebellious 18-year-old girl searching for purpose with all the reckless passion of youth. While thousands of Parisians march into the unknown terrors of war, she meets the compelling and mysterious Gaetan, a partisan who believes the French can fight the Nazis from within France, and she falls in love as only the young can, completely. When he betrays her, Isabel races headlong into danger and joins the resistance, never looking back or giving a thought to the real and deadly consequences. This is really an outstanding book. It's a novel, but it is based on... A spy at the time whose, um, whose spy name was The Nightingale, um, a female spy called The Nightingale. And it, it really is one of the most outstanding novels. Very different. Uh, and I really do highly recommend it. It's The Nightingale by Kristen Hanna. Sarah's Key by Tatiana de Rosne is quite a harrowing book. Um, I must admit, I will never forgive my mother for giving this to me to read. And also based in France. And at the time it came out, this came out quite a few years ago, and I don't think many people at the time knew the story of of the French Jews and the French Jews being rounded up and being sent to camps. It was um, a very little known story at the time. People did not know about it, and and apart from the the inner story of Sarah and her family, the story of the Jews of France was in itself the Jews of Paris uh, was was quite horrific. It's not for the faint-hearted. It is a novel, and as well as the themes of the novel, and the themes of PTSD and the themes of of trauma, and it, it's quite a harrowing read. So, as I said, it's based in Paris. It's July 1942, and 10-year-old Sarah is brutally arrested with her family in the Val d'Yves Roundup, the most notorious act of French collaboration with the Nazis. But before the police come to take them, Sarah locks her younger brother, Michel, in their favorite hiding place, a cupboard in the family's apartment. She keeps the key, thinking that she will be back within a few hours. Paris, May 2002, on Valdives 60th anniversary, and please excuse me if my pronunciation is not 100% correct, Julia Jamon, an ex- American journalist, is asked by her Paris-based American magazine to write an article about this black day in France's past. Julia has lived in Paris for nearly 25 years, married a Frenchman, and she's shocked both by her ignorance about the event and the silence that still surrounds it in the course of her investigation, she stumbles onto a trail of long-hidden family secrets that connects her to Sarah. Julia finds herself compelled to retrace the girl's ordeal from the terrible days spent shut in at the Valdive to the camps and beyond. As she probes into Sarah's past, she begins to question her own place in France and to reevaluate her marriage and her life. Writing about the fate of her country with a pitiless clarity, Tatiana de Rosnay offers us a brilliantly subtle, compelling portrait of France under occupation and reveals the taboos and denial surrounding this painful episode in French history. Now, this is a description of the book. I must be honest, I don't find it subtle. I didn't find it subtle at all. I found it quite full on. She describes it in, in with no subtlety at all. It's, it's a full description, but as she says here, there are a lot of taboos. There was, there's great denial, um, surrounding that episode. And as there is denial by many of the, the European countries who collaborated with the Nazis, there is a lot of denial that is, is coming out now that they were forced into collaborating, whereas their leaders collaborated quite willingly. Um, but as she says here, a lot of denial. And that is Sarah's Key by Tatiana de Rosne. Quite a new book that's, that's just come out and, um, is, is quite a different book. I think it might actually only be available on Kindle at the moment. And it's a book called The Fortunate Ones by Catherine Hoken. It's very different and it's written from two different perspectives. Every day he stood exactly where he was directed. He listened for his number, shouted his answer in the freezing cold. He was ragged and he was starving, but he was alive. He was one of the fortunate ones who fate had left standing and he needed to stay that way for Hannah. Berlin, 1941. Felix Talberg, a printer's apprentice, has the weight of the world on his shoulders. His beloved city is changing under Nazi rule, and at home things are no better. Felix's father hasn't left the house since he was forced to wear a yellow star, and his mother grows thinner every day. Then one night, Felix meets a mysterious young woman in a crowded dance hall, and his life is changed forever. Hannah is like a rush of fresh air into his gloomy, stagnant life, and Felix finds himself instantly, powerfully infatuated with her but when he tries to find her again, she's vanished without a trace. Was Hannah taken away by the Gestapo and held prisoner, or worse? When Felix himself is in prison, imprisoned in Sachsenhausen concentration camp, his thoughts are only for her safety. And when a life-threatening injury lands him on the ward of Dr. Ma- Max Eichel, a Nazi medical officer with a sadistic reputation, his love for his lost Hannah sees him through the pain. Until one day, Dr. Eichel brings his pretty young wife to tour the camp, and Felix's world is thrown off kilter. Framed in the hospital window, he sees, impossibly, the same girl he met that fateful night, her wrist in the vice-like grip of the deathly calm SS officer. And it's clear Hannah recognizes him at once. There is no mistaking her expression, she has been dreaming of him too. This is a fascinating story, and one never thinks of the fact that these women who were married to the Nazi officers might not have been as compliant as we assume they may have been. It also tells the story of a printing press that existed at the Sachsenhausen concentration camp. And although this is a novel, again, with a factual basis about a man called Kruger, um, I think he was also a Nazi officer, and he had this printing press that he made the prisoners work on. And if you had a gift, like um, if you were an artist, or if you had some sort of gift that enabled you to work on something like a printing press, he was using these prisoners to forge money. And this actually kept them alive. It's quite fascinating. But the book itself... Is an extremely different type of book. It's, it shows a different perspective on on stories that you don't really think about, and different perspectives that you don't really think about. And did people have options? Were they as compliant and as complacent as we assume they were? And this is the fortunate ones by Catherine Hoken. As I said, I I think it's actually only available on Kindle at the moment, and possibly will only be published in a couple of months in paperback. If you've just tuned in, we're talking Holocaust books today, and today's show is dedicated to the memory of Maud Perlov, a Holocaust survivor who lived here in Johannesburg, who passed away earlier this week. And if there's a particular Holocaust book that you've read that you think is worth mentioning, please do SMS the name through to 34519 or you can send a message through on telegram 0618951019 another really interesting book that's recently come out and also apologies if you don't read on kindle but i think this is also only available on kindle at the moment kindle books sometimes come out firstly in kindle and then they're published a couple of months later in paperback this one's called burning island by Suzanne Goldring and this one very interestingly enough is based on the island of Corfu and I didn't know that there were Jews on the island of Corfu before the war I don't know if there is a Jewish community there now I don't know if anyone knows anything about Greek Jewish communities I know there was um a community on, on roads I know there's a, an amazing memorial there now. I know that they, they hold memorial commemorations there. Um, I know it's quite a beautiful uh, memorial there, at, actually. And I know there's there's quite a big Rhodes community or ex-community of Rhodes. I think that some are here, a lot in Australia. But as I said, this is Burning Island by Suzanne Goldring, and it's based in Corfu, Corfu, 1943. Although they don't know it, five-year-old Matilda and three-year-old Anna have kissed their mother goodbye for the last time. And we're going to get back to this after the break. I love it when you read to me. This is People of the Book with Janice Leibovitz. I'm back and in case you've just tuned in, we're talking Holocaust books today as Monday is International Holocaust Remembrance Day. And before the break, I started talking about quite a new book called Burning Island by Suzanne Goldring. And at the moment, I think this is just available on Kindle. Probably will only be out in paperback in a couple of months. So apologies if you are looking for it on paperback and it's not yet available. This book takes place on the island of Corfu, 1943. And five-year-old Matilda and three-year-old Anna... Don't know it, but they are kissing their mother goodbye for the last time. The Nazis have reached their sun-scorched home and they're being taken to a place of safety on the northeastern tip of their island to be hidden at huge risk by the kindly Agatha and her husband Giorgio until this terrible war is over. And, of course, no one could predict that the war would take so long. They go and they live with Agatha and Giorgio, and... Agatha looks after them. Of course, they, they soon vaguely forget their, their family, the, the parents and their older sister, Rebecca, who's 13. And her parents, the parents had very cleverly not registered the younger two children. So whenever there were lists, whenever there were roll calls, these younger two children were hidden away and the Nazis had no knowledge of their existence. So they spirited away to the far end of the island. And when the Nazis round up all the Jews, off they go. And these two young children remain on the island, in in virtual safety. They they really are kept quite safe, in quite a, a remote area of the island that the Germans don't venture towards. It's quite an interesting, interestingly structured story. Because it then switches to, to 2016, where Amber and her husband, James, arrive in Corfu looking for an escape from, from the rat race. And they've decided that they, they don't want these humdrum jobs anymore. They don't want to be traveling up and down on the trains and they're looking for a different lifestyle. And they, he, he's quite a keen chef. And they've decided they'd like to set up a hotel, and he, he thinks he's going to set up a michelin style restaurant. And they've got friends who, who live on the island, and they've decided they're coming to set up a, a beautiful business here. And things are, are booming, and they get introduced to people who are going to help them, and they befriend people, but you know, things are always not always as they seem and people who seem like your friends and who want to help you are not always quite what you think they are or who they, you think they are. And Amber starts to discover the history of the island and she's quite horrified that, that Corfu had this history of cons- the, the previous, the government back in the the forties, had cons- conspired with the Nazis and hidden and gotten rid of all their Jews. And one of the friends that she ma- that she makes there sits in the village square every day, and ensures that tourists and visitors to the island are directed towards the fort, and that they learn about this history of the island. Not just that it's a beautiful sunspot, that there are beautiful coffee shops. And she decides that she also needs to learn a bit more about this this island and, and the darker history of the island. And it's it's told in a very interesting timeline because in the 2016 timeline, you hear from Amber and you hear from James. And then when it goes back to the timeline in 1944, it's also in an alternate timeline, in an alternate perspective, because the alternative perspectives tell how the two little girls are, are growing and you also see what's happening to their parents and the older sister. it's really interesting. It is a very cleverly constructed book, and as I say, very different because there are obviously not many books written about the history of Corfu and what happened to the the Jewish community of Corfu. I think it needed a little bit more depth about the actual community of Corfu and what actually happened to them. It does tell you um, numbers, it gives you a few stats. But it's more about the story of what's happening to James and Amber. But it's, it's a finely constructed book. It's, it's, as I say, quite a complex construction of the book and really well worth reading. This is Burning Island by Suzanne Goldring. As I said, I think only available on Kindle at the moment. Probably you'll be able to get it in paperback in a couple of months. Another book, um, Probably available shortly also in paid back, The Child of Auschwitz by Lily Graham. Very interestingly enough, something that certainly hadn't crossed my mind before I read this book. Something about, did you ever, I don't know if any of you have ever, ever thought about this. This is also a novel based on one small fact. That the author had read about Did any of you ever consider the fact that Babies were born in Auschwitz Because it's not something that I had ever Ever considered Before It's not something that you think about It's not something that you You really ever dream about That, that babies are born in, in such a horrific place But the the author had read uh, A short piece I don't know where she found it and has based the book on a fictionalized, this is a fictionalized account of the life of Vera Bain. And she gave birth to a baby girl in 1944 while she was interned in the Auschwitz-Birkenau death camp. And the baby survived purely because she was unable to cry as her lungs were underdeveloped, and that is what saved her life. And she based the book on that one, small fact. Uh, the book is about a character called Eva Adami. In 1942, she boards a train to Auschwitz. She can barely breathe on, on this cattle car due to being pressed by other bodies. She's exhausted from standing up for two days. She All she can think about is reuniting with her husband, a uh, Michael who was sent there six months earlier. And all she wants to do when she gets there is search for him. And when she gets there, the, the actual reality of this camp just crashes down on her and she she lies on her bunk and she's heartbroken because she realizes that the chances of finding him are virtually nil. And her bunkmate, Sophie, tries to comfort her and befriends her and all she still cares about is finding her husband, alive in this awful place. And Sophie only wants to be reunited with her, her son, Thomas, who has been taken over the border into Austria. He's been taken to an orphanage. And Eva actually discovers that she is pregnant. So with Eva being pregnant and Sophie's son being over the border, they decide that they are going to just protect each other, look after each other, and this is the story of how they get through this hell on Earth. This is the child of Auschwitz by Lily Graham. I love it when you read to me This is people of the book with Janice Liebewitz.: We are talking Holocaust books today. And we're talking novels. If there is anything in particular that you think is worth a mention, please send me an SMS on 34519 or a message on Telegram 0618951019. The next book is really one of my favorite books. It's such an outstanding book and really a beautiful, beautiful book, beautifully written and just If if there can be a beautiful book about the Holocaust, this is just such a beautiful book. It's about love, about hope, about friendship, and it's just about courage and humanity. And I just, I love this book. It's called A View Across the Rooftops. It's by Suzanne Kelman. And in case you hadn't guessed, I adore this book. It's based in Amsterdam, 1941, Nazi occupied Amsterdam, and it's about a professor by the name of Joseph Held. This is a novel. It's not a true story. So Joseph Held has never recovered from losing his beloved wife, and he has no intention of ever letting anyone into his quiet, safe little world. It's a world where his clocks his clocks tick steadily in his maths classroom. Every equation has a solution. He walks the same route home, past his neighbour, Mrs. Epstein, to a home where he inhabits it on his own and he even has, has a cat and he refuses to give the cat a name because he doesn't want to get close to the cat. But then the Nazis come for the Jews and Mrs. Epstein is killed right in front of him and Joseph, in an absolutely impulsive act of courage, offers his student, Michael Bloom, a place to hide. And the student is a student that he doesn't even particularly like. And he's everything that Joseph is not. Michael is spontaneous, he's poetic, he's unafraid to love, he's brave. And even though his his relationship with a Dutch girl called Elka is strictly forbidden by the Nazis because he's Jewish and she's not he he decides he's taking Michael in and he is going to protect Michael whatever the cost and he's desperate actually to give Michael and Elka's love a chance to survive so he gives Michael refuge in his attic and this is an act of bravery and resistance that is going to change both of their lives and As the dark days of war continue with danger and betrayal at every turn, no one can be trusted and no one is safe. If Michael is going to get back to the woman he loves, it is down to Joseph to find the hero inside himself that he really has no clue if it's even there. And he needs to do whatever it takes to keep Michael alive. This is an absolutely heartbreakingly beautiful story about love, about trust and about courage. Against the odds, it is beautiful. Try and get your hands on it. This is a view across the rooftops by Suzanne Kalman. Um, schools tend to—I know—I don't know about non-Jewish schools. I know Jewish schools tend to prescribe Holocaust reading for younger learners, and there are particular books that are often prescribed. And I remember reading, I remember reading books, not necessarily that were prescribed at school. And I know last week or the week before, I spoke at length about school learners not particularly liking the books that they are forced to read at school level. But there's something about Holocaust literature that tends to catch their attention. And I don't know if that's particularly a good or bad thing, but Maybe there should be more that 's prescribed for them i 'm not too sure, but I remember particularly one book that that I read when I was a lot younger, a lot younger um let 's not give away anything here and one of those books was when Hitler stole pink rabbit and i 'm sure that that will bring back memories for a lot of you um it 's When Hitler Stole Pink Rabbit by Judith Kerr, and I didn't know that this was actually partly autobiographical and that it was also part of a trilogy that tells the story of a Jewish family fleeing from Germany at the start of the war. And she she was nine years old, and she was busy with her schoolwork and her friends, and she, you know... But then she finds that the war is catching up with her, her father's missing, and they are being rushed into secrecy, they've gotta hide, and she wants to know, like, what does Hitler want with, with her and her rabbit? And so, that's one of those. Also, often schools prescribe books like The Boy in the Striped Pajamas, Number the Stars, and The Promise by Eva Schloss, who, and, who was um, also related to, um Anne Frank's father. Was his stepdaughter That's all we have time for unfortunately Um, As I said today's Show was dedicated To the memory of Maud Perlov One of our survivors Here in Joburg who unfortunately Passed away this week And I hope that You found something to read Among the books that I spoke about Today And I wish you all a Shabbat Shalom And a great week of reading